Get Medical Education Podcast listeners. This is Kevin Eva, editor-in-chief of the journal, coming to you today with the distinct pleasure of speaking with an expat, a Canadian who has left our country, at least for the time being. Galina Gechman is a PGY3, or third-year resident in neurology at Mass General Brigham Hospital. Along with our co-authors, she's produced a paper that's going to be published in the October 2022 issue of the journal entitled Faculty Perspectives on Facilitating Students' Longitudinal Learning, a Mixed Methods Study. Galina, thanks for joining me. Thanks so much for having me. It's really a pleasure to be on the podcast and to have the opportunity to speak about our paper. It's more impressive now that I know you're doing this while busily running through your various stages of residency. So maybe I'll just start by asking you a bit about your background. What took you down to Boston and how did you wind up involved in a project like this? Yeah, thank you. So I'm originally from Toronto, Ontario, as I mentioned, and went to the University of Toronto. I studied neuroscience and psychology, and I've always been interested in sort of the connection between the body and the brain. And Ended up uh, heading to Boston for medical school. I trained at Harvard Medical School. And after that, decided I'd like to pursue specialty neurology and had the distinct pleasure of matching into the Mass General Brigham program, which rotates at Mass General Hospital and Brigham Women's Hospital here in Boston. And throughout this period, I've been really dedicated to and passionate about medical education. I started with some opportunities teaching other students within the medical school and then slowly drifted more and more to the theoretical realm, thinking about medical education research and the design of medical education. And as early as medical school got involved working with others to think about how we teach and how we study and how to make that better. And I had the opportunity to get involved with this project through mentorship by Dr. David Hirsch. He's one of the founders of the Longitudinal Integrated Clerkship at Harvard Medical School. And it's a particular type of educational design to longitudinal clinical learning. And working with him and working with others, we've parsed out many different questions. We've done other projects looking at co-production of medical education, medical students, for example. We've done other studies looking at medical student resilience and trying to think about that aspect and how to teach that, critical thinking, uncertainty, many topics. But this particular paper was really exciting dive into thinking about the perspective of faculty. And so I feel like it was a really cool opportunity for me as a student to get involved and thinking and getting myself into the head of the teacher and the educator as I transitioned from that student role to increasing a resident and ultimately faculty. Getting a sneak look behind the scenes at what the faculty are thinking about as you go through training. <laughs> yeah. And, and really that partnership, right? That, you know, when we think about teaching, we can't forget the educators who are thinking about the best design for education. We have to recognize all the stakeholders involved and their needs. We focus a lot on students and a lot of the research within longitudinal integrated clerkships has been on students and more recently on patients, which is important. But I really think of it as this triangle that's producing a synergistic effect of beneficial outcomes, whether it's educational or patient outcomes. And in this paper, we looked at what's the outcome for the faculty? What do they need? What can they offer? And then one day, how might we evaluate those outcomes for faculty? Just before we get into their perspectives, then you've mentioned longitudinal learning a couple of times. And that's a phrase that will mean very different things in different places. What does the longitudinal learning that you were focused upon look like? So that's a great question. That's, I think, a question of debate within medical education. We focused on the idea of 
looking at programs where the relationship between the student, the patient, and the faculty is at least six months in length in one setting and involving multiple disciplines. So there's kind of strict criteria for what might involve a longitudinal integrated clerkship, but a more broadly used term is like a longitudinal clinical program would be any program where there is a commitment between the patient, the student, and the faculty to engage together iteratively over time. And we kind of define that framework within the paper, what we're focusing on. But the reason we were interested in that idea is that a lot of the research so far within longitudinal learning, you know, once you define what that is, has been about the context and the structure of that design. And there's been less said about like, okay, once you set up this wonderful structure, what happens inside? You know, what's the chemistry within that structure that actually makes the outcomes of that longitudinal opportunity take place? So it's not enough to put a student and a preceptor together that's necessary but not sufficient and that's what we wanted to explore here is that if the longitudinal structure as we're defining it at least six months together in one place continuity between the preceptor the student and ideally the patient and the student the patient and the preceptor what does that allow for and create opportunity for in terms of teaching students not just clinical skills but really the skills of longitudinality the skills of being a caregiver over time and learning how to be with a patient and care for the patient over time. Patient-centeredness and everything that goes along with that. And you mentioned that the faculty perspectives on this are relatively understudied or underappreciated. Why do you think it's important that we fill in that gap? Perhaps underappreciated or underexplored because they're straightforward and there's no real issue to resolve. But what were you trying to accomplish by taking on this task? I think we were trying to signal a little bit that what we're asking of faculty is a lot, and we can't guarantee that every faculty member is interested in or able to do this kind of work, or even if interested has the capacity. I think behind the scenes, we thought if we could show that there are particular strategies, we would have a very pragmatic outcome, which is maybe we could teach folks these strategies. And there's a research incentive in the sense that this isn't known. So is there some kind of empiricism to this? Like, is there some kind of method that works best? And then I think ultimately what I hope a study like ours and others that hopefully will follow can do is start to bring a science to this and then bring the support that's needed. So if we can show that there are particular strategies that work to help students learn, to help patients do better, and to help retain faculty and help faculty feel satisfied and sufficiently supported to do this kind of work that we might be able to create better structures and find, you know, really the higher level administrative institutional support to make work like this happen. I think right now we're asking faculty to kind of quote unquote, like teach from the side of their desk, you know, they're seeing patients, they're trying to meet those workforce needs, the access needs, and somehow also teach students. And it's maybe not a fair ask. And I think that our work, though not directly studying that balance, we hear a lot of that come out in the perspectives of faculty share of the challenges. And just like any other problem, to come up with the right solutions, we have to really understand the problem. And that's one of the first things we're trying to do here. In addition to hopefully getting some pragmatic strategies that (laughs) folks can adapt to their own local context. Well, and so just before we get to those strategies, let me ask you to unpack a little bit the outcomes that you're hoping to achieve. So you mentioned faculty motivation and the benefits that they might experience if these programs are implemented well. Um, from your data, a number of benefits 
to engaging as teachers in these contexts were identified. What stood out to you as being particularly promising in terms of the goal that you could sell to the faculty to try to convince them that this is activity worth taking on? I'm so glad you asked that question. If we take a few steps back, the research question that we set out to explore in this study was actually first, what are the teaching strategies within this context? And the second was, what are the institutional or kind of contextual structural barriers and enablers? And then what we found from a inductive perspective, meaning we had asked those questions deductively and looked for in the data, but we also explored what themes came arose unexpectedly. And what stood out was that the biggest theme that arose was faculty benefits. So I'm so glad you asked that because it wasn't something we necessarily expected to find and yet was one of the most moving findings. And within that, there were a couple, I think the one that stands out most to me was this idea of gratification and really the satisfaction that comes from being an educator within this model. And in particular, the faculty described the opportunity that came from developing a long-term relationship with students. And what that allowed was it allowed them to see students grow over time, to give students increasing levels of responsibility and to work with them to find where they were and to see how they progress. And they actually got to see, in a way, the feedback of that investment because students became more competent. Patients would ask after students. Students often transitioned in their career course. So for example, a pediatrician described a student who within this program ended up going into pediatrics and he sort of joked that, you know, that's not my goal, but it's nice when it happens is sort of like what he said. And I think that preceptors don't often get that quite literally the satisfaction and the feedback that gives them that feeling of gratitude and fulfillment. And this is something that many of our preceptors said in the study that with that kind of investment, while difficult up front, it really bears its fruit down the line. And so, again, just thinking in terms of practical implications then and other people trying to recreate those fruits, so to speak, what did you hear from people in terms of strategies for facilitating and overcoming some of the barriers that might get in the way of both the student outcomes they were trying to achieve, but also those faculty benefits? I think what mattered was faculty buying into the overall model of this type of education, a relational education, meaning education that depends on forming a relationship over time and then using that to leverage opportunities and leverage context. So let's say you're starting out by meeting a student on the first day and you know they'll be with you for a year. It's a very different idea than someone's coming in for the morning clinic. Someone's coming in for a morning clinic, you're going to try to pass along the you know, top 10 yield facts of pediatrics. Like, here's how you do an exam. Here's how you manage the baby. Here's how you look in the ear. If you have someone for a year, it's a very different time scale and it's a very different commitment. And some of our faculty use terms like, this is more of an emotional commitment or this is more of you're getting to know the student where they're at that day versus where they're at because you happen to have one hour together. And the other thing we heard about is this idea, we termed it faculty adaptability. And what we defined it out was this idea that faculty actually had committed to a larger purpose than their own clinic. Meaning there were faculty who would say, hey, you know, your other patient from my colleague in OBGYN is delivering today. Like you should leave my clinic 
and mm-hmm. go see that patient because you're never going to have another opportunity to see a baby being delivered that you've followed for six months. And when you hear that kind of community forming around a student and that kind of understanding as a faculty member that you've committed to something larger than yourself, I think that those are the types of strategies and experiences that this relationship created an affordance for that perhaps in a situation where you're just paired with a student for a morning, you're not going to really ask what are the other things you're doing this morning because you just have that morning. But when you have a whole year, you start to ask who's this person? How are they developing? Maybe they have a good days and bad days. You get to see that context within a student and help them work through at a personal level of development, not just at a clinical level of development. Well, and thinking about those people who have student for only morning, for example, let me just pose a final question of, is there anything that you've observed in this study that you think is actually transportable or any insights you gained that might help those people who don't have the opportunity to teach in more longitudinal settings like the ones you're describing? That's a great question. I think the takeaway is getting to know the person and it's not so different than the way that we approach patient care. I think teacher and student relationship can be similar. One example would be getting to know that particular individual and asking them like, what is it that they would like to get out of clinic today? You know, because perhaps they're a rotator who knows they're going into surgery. And as opposed to pretending that they have to be particularly interested in your topic, you can kind of say like, how might what I teach apply to what you're interested in? I remember when I was going through my surgical rotations, knowing I likely wouldn't do that. The way I kind of kept in mind was thinking like, one day I'll have patients who might need surgery and I might be able to explain it to them, or I might be able to educate them, or I'll be working as a neurologist with neurosurgeons. So I need to understand some aspects of, you know, describing to a patient, like what they can expect from the neurosurgeon versus myself as a neurologist. And so I think that then you think about engaging a student I think even if you only have an hour and if you start not by just saying like, here's the things that I'm going to teach you, but really asking them, what are the things you'd like to learn? And like, where are you at? Like, what is it that you know? And kind of building from there. I think that's one way that you can engage someone at a more, I guess, a level that's hopefully more interesting to them and a level that feels more personable. As you said, more relationship-based, even if more it's more relationship-based. Relationship. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Well, that's a great note to end on. It's a fantastic bit of advice for all of us to pay attention to and keep in mind you know, what could be most beneficial at this moment, given the context. So I think we'll tie things up, but thank you again for telling us a bit more about your work, and we're looking forward to seeing what comes next. Thank you very much. It's great to be here and to really have a chance to dwell into what we learned. I just want to thank the participants from our study who shared so much of their experiences and who've taught, you know, endlessly for so many of my colleagues and students at our school. And I also want to thank my co-authors without whom this study would not be possible. So I hope everyone has a chance to check out the paper and we'd love to hear your thoughts and what you learned. Thanks a lot for having me. Brilliant. Yeah, there are a lot of interesting details in the paper that we don't have time to cover. So I will echo that and remind people that if you want to find those details, they're in a paper entitled Faculty Perspectives on Facilitating Students' Longitudinal Learning, a Mixed Method Study in the October 2022 issue of Medical Education. I've been listening to Galena Geichmann explain her views on it. So enjoy the paper and thanks again, Galena. Thank you.